0: Out of the Traps, brought to you by the Greyhound Board of Great Britain. Well, hello and welcome everybody to the very first episode of Out of the Traps, brought to you by the Greyhound Board of Great Britain. I'm Dave Clark. I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Senior Stipendiary Steward at the GBGB, Paul Illingworth. Paul, how are you? Uh,
1: hello, Dave. Yes, I'm good. Thank you.
0: Yeah, we're just going to have a little chit chat. The idea of this show is a little bit of content for everyone out there to stick on um, in the van while you're on the way to the track or perhaps while you're out walking your dogs, whatever you're doing, um, however you wish to consume it. We hope you find it useful, um, informative, engaging, and of course, you carry on listening too. Now, the idea of the show is we provide the communication between the regulator, which of ground racing, of course, is the GBGB, and everyone involved in the sport as well. Your trainers, kennel hands, owners, stadium staff, absolutely everybody in the sport. Um, I'll introduce myself. I'm Dave Clark. I work for the Racing Post, work on Racing Post Ground TV. I've been lucky enough to be involved in ground racing for over 25 years now. Um, very lucky from a young age watching my dad's dogs run many, many years ago. I've grown up in the sport now lucky enough to be covering the sport as part of my job also own dogs and i've done so for for 15 years now outright and as part of a syndicate in a nutshell i love the sport it's my life I'm absolutely mad for it paul you're of course part of the the gbgb tell us your history in the sport and what you actually do now
1: Yes. Well, uh, much like yourself, I'd started at a young age within the sport. So it's, it's a family connection again. Um, my mother worked, um, at the old Crayford track, um, before they, before they rebuilt it. And I spent my formative years running around the terraces, collecting tote tickets and things like that. Um, my dad actually had, um, a British bred pup with, uh, the train, then trainer, Dinky Luckhurst. Um, so I'd be down at the kennels as a teenager taking the pups out for a walk and things like that. And, and been involved at the schooling track. So that was sort of like the first uh, contact with the sport, really. Uh, got a job at Crayford, parading, ground staff, racing office, and moved on from Crayford to Hackney um, when, when the new Hackney was, was launched. Unfortunately, um, went into receivership after a couple of years, um, moved on to Romford, which was there for 11 years in the racing office, um, and then took up an, up an opportunity to join the NGRC at the time in the registry department um ngrc with the previous regulator became the greyhound board in 2009 and i the role that i have now as senior Stipendary steward i took up um in that first year in the sort of september of 2009 so <clears throat> that's um 12 years of, of service and counting so far um in terms of what the job role is um many of the participants in the sport would kind of be aware of stipendary steward so uh you've got each trainer and track has their own sort of allocated stipendary steward that comes round and make sure that everything's being ad- adhered to as as described in the rules of racing, offers advice and, and tidbits of information around best practices and things like that. So as a senior stipendry steward, I oversee those seven um, stipendary stewards and their work to make sure that they're fully trained and, and what they're doing. Um, but also as an aside to that, governing or assisting to govern the, the regulatory board with rules of racing rules queries um and and anything of that nature obviously there's there's a lot a lot of work going on at the moment um relating to sort of kennel standards and and nsf work which i'm sure we'll come on to on future episodes but um in a nutshell i'm i'm kind of the uh out in the field um senior management for for the for the greyhound board and, and try to be as accessible as i can be obviously been in the industry for this amount of time you do get to know some people so um, hopefully um people would think that i'm approachable enough that if they had any questions comments or concerns that they could they could get in, in contact with me either directly or or through mediums such as this um i mean one one of one of the great things about this podcast is that it's interactive with the audience. You know, we want people to email in with questions and, and, and topics that they want us to talk about. So um that's something that would I would openly encourage.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the email address in which um you can get in touch with us is pod, P-O-D um at gbgb.org.uk. You're welcome to tweet myself um any questions as well and I will ask them to, to Paul or whoever else we have from the board on the show. You mentioned that the, the rules and regulations are, of, of course, they're a big part of your role, Paul. Um, just recently, we saw a press release from the GBGB. Um, it was, in fact, um, I think it was World Earth Day um, the other day, and I, I read in there that the GBGB will no longer be printing or distributing the rules of racing into a physical format, which it's nice to see the GBGB doing their bit. But more importantly, um, there's been a micro site created. Just tell us about that. Obviously, I'm not asking you to... We're through all the rules and and regulations because we'll be here all day, but um, no longer being printed or distributed, but can be found and updated online. Where do people go?
1: okay so on the you can you can find the rule the online version of the rules via the main website um so gbgb.org.uk um and there's a tab for the rules and regulations and you'll you'll find a link to go to the to the microsite there and really it's, just, it's something that's being in the works for a little while um i think we, we always look at comparative uh, bodies so bha had moved their racing uh, rules of racing um on to an online format a couple of years ago and uh it's something that we wanted to do because we just find it incredibly difficult to keep everybody up to date with with rule changes when you've got a physical print copy so whenever there are rule changes you normally have to print inserts that would be sent out in the calendar for distribution to to people with rule books and then have to take them out and stick them in their book and so it was just felt that you know trying to keep up with the times that we would have um this this online version it obviously then has the added benefits of uh, keyword searching and be able to print an individual rule. So if a racing office or a trainer wants to look at anything more direct and specific, they can only look at that rule if they want. Um, but yes, th- so that so that that um, obviously came to came into being um, last Friday. Um, very pleased with how that's turned out. It's not the finished article. Um, you know there are st- still some modifications. To, uh, to come with the website. So, um, you know, watch this space for any sort of changes there. But we just hope that it, it was a way of distributing that information in a more user friendly way. So, you know, what we will do in future is we'll be sending out alerts via sort of Twitter or email to future rule changes and people should be able to just access it via a hyperlink rather than having to wait for a sort of printed version to land on their on their doormat um so that so that's how we got to um having an online rule book um and it's for the time that it's been out it seems to have been relatively well received and you know i would encourage anybody that's curious to just go and have a a a look at it and um like I say using keyword searches and things like that you you should be able to find what you're looking for if you're not sure. Uh again I would always advise if anyone's unsure about a rule of racing it's always best to check that's what stipendry stewards are there for. So um, by all means you can still call your stipendry steward to check a rule if you're not sure about something but um the the materials are there anyway. And it's it's part of it's part of um work that we're doing just to enhance the online experience. So rather than expecting uh, people in the sport to sort of retain volumes of of paperwork and documentation you know we can provide it online and they can dip in and have a look at the bits that are relevant to them in a in a, in a lot more user-friendly way so um obviously I'm, I'll, I'll rattle through the changes that came out on friday um quite a few sort of cosmetic ones that were related to a licensing review that took place at the back end of last year so sort of like the headline from that uh, was the uh, removal of the owner trainer license so um, i mean I, I, I sort of appeared on racing post tv to kind of answer questions about uh, that process at the time at the back end of last year and um, those those rule changes have, have now gone in so it's just the removal of some of the the phrasing about owner trainers um, and actually the, the job role of a security officer at the track has been removed as well it's become a redundant position so um, there's a raft of changes related to that which quite um straightforward um rules 212 and 213 relate to kennel standards so there previously was sort of like a 20 point list of rules for trainers kennels uh has been truncated into a much more succinct list um primarily point number one is that trainers must be compliant with PAS 251 which is the publicly publicly accessible document um that um dictates the standard that a kennel needs to be um, which again is, is work that you know the, the basis of the NSF audits uh, for an independent auditor that, that we'll be doing going forward and um, that kind of information is all accessible via the website again trainers have access to a, a trainer only portal that contains that information but it's just in the rule reflecting uh, the, the the actions going forward. Um,
0: just let me was, jump in there Paul because obviously yeah. that- That's very important because as a sport in which um, animals are involved in, um, the care and welfare of these animals is absolutely at the forefront. Um, Welfare is is paramount. And these guidelines are independently formed. They're independently monitored. Is that what we're saying here and now? Um, This rule coming in as of um was it the first of of may um they they need to be followed and adhered to, and it, it's coming in and, and tell us about paz 251
1: yeah so it's part of a wider um a much wider piece of work that um will obviously go into more depth i suppose at a, at a later time and i think Absolutely, it'd be good to yeah. to engage with a with a trainer on here about about that kind of thing and and allay some of their fears but basically um a working group was was created involving all all sort of stakeholder groups within our industry so owners trainers are represented promoters uh, the regulator um but also included uh, sort of external uh, stakeholder groups so charities welfare organizations um government uh, departments uh, and and it's a document that we don't regulate we don't own the ground board it's it's a bsir the british standards institute they own that document it's a voluntary um specification which is why this rule change is important because what we've said is and what we had committed to defra is that although it's a voluntary document we are going to be using it as our standard going forward that was the that was the commitment that we'd made to defra so This is this is where we are with it. And that's why the requirements in that document are what the uh, are going to be the basis of what the inspections will be uh, going forward. In reality, the details within the PAS reflect um, the majority of what is already in the rules. So there isn't a significant change. I think the biggest change for trainers will be centred around. Uh, record keeping and documentation. So, you know, you just in general terms about evidencing that good practice is being conducted in the kennel by providing an example of a feeding regime or an exercise regime and things like that. We've we've been communicating with trainers, getting this information out. Um, I think, in fairness, until a trainer is audited by NSF um, and, and they start this, they've started this month. Um, I think it will become more clear in a trainer's mind what exactly is expected but um you know there's we've built into the process uh, enough sort of um time for uh, trainers to kind of take on board what they're being asked to to manage and you know if if trainers are operating their kennel in a normal way um, then they'll be meeting the requirements. It won't be a problem. So um, there's there's not really anything too much to fear there. It's just uh, formalising that process in a way that means we as a regulator can be audited by an external source, because that's the whole point. Yep. We'll be we'll be accredited by UCAS for licensing trainers, because at the moment we're only accredited for licensing race courses, and we, we're extending that to include trainers. So um, hopefully by the end of this year we will have that accreditation in place Meaning then that we are obviously subject to the, that external uh, audit ourselves, um, which is great peace of mind for other organisations. Uh, we, we're comfortable with it because we know we're we're doing things in the in the in the correct way. Um, but it's it's good peace of mind for those other organisations uh, that might want to question that. So
0: excellent. Let's um, move on as well then, Paul, to to Rule fifty three and, and one nine five because I know the. Um, trainers' representative, Peter Hardin, who, who also sits on the board, um, has worked very, very hard to have the disqualification rule and, and process tinkered with, changed, adapted. Um, at the moment, um, a dog is deemed to deliberately interfere with another dog and can be disqualified. Um, but tell us about what this change is going to involve now.
1: Yeah, I think just for context, I think going back to the very beginning, I think the call that, the well, I know the call originally was to look for having some sort of appeal process so that if somebody felt their greyhound had been unfairly disqualified, that there would be some sort of recourse where the, the, de- the decision could be reviewed. And the method for doing that has what has, and, and the pros and cons of it and, and, and everything has been debated at length uh, within, within the rules, as the Rules of Racing Committee, which representatives uh from uh race courses owners trainers obviously the regulator all sort of are involved in that um and with 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 all rule changes you always try to find the middle ground of something that is it works as a rule in in, in its own right something that you can actually sort of police and manage uh, and something that actually you know works logistically so um here we were looking at, at what all the alternatives or options were um, what we've tried to do is build in, um, look, look, taking on board the concerns from um, maybe owners and trainers and, and, and to some extent racing offices. We've tried to make some tweaks to the rule that maybe would allay some of those problems. So I think primarily the first point is that, Uh, previously the decision to disqualify a dog needed to be made before the next race was run now that in itself led to some potentially um, hurried decisions um, or maybe a breakdown in the communication where they couldn't get hold of a trainer in time but they had to send it anyway so you know the trainer feeling like they haven't really been engaged with uh, fully in the process so
0: we're racing uh, every 15 minutes aren't we so yeah yeah.
1: so so that 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 deadline was extended to the end of that particular race meeting because we didn't want things to drag on for days um it needs to be concluded and and part of the like one of the linchpin rules within our rules of racing is the judge's decision is final um so whether that's a race result a decision to disqualify a dog or whatever you know we didn't want to be looking at going back and uh, questioning the judgment per se um, but what we wanted to do was just allow more time for the, the, the stewards on duty to make full consideration and for the trainer themselves. I mean, look, especially at the moment with the way things are with um, the operational policy for COVID that we have at the race courses, a lot of trainers don't have the luxury of sitting in the stand and watching the, the racing while the kennel hand is out on the track, putting the dogs in the traps. A lot of trainers are out there in the middle during a race and they might not see what's going on as obviously as clearly as the stewards would do from the judge's box. You know, that is the judge's box position is the the prime position at any race course. And so they will see things that others won't. And even with the benefit of a video replay, the video camera, as you would experience at various tracks, because you know, it's not the same you know you don't you the camera isn't in the judge's box necessarily it's 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 plonked somewhere close to the line but not not in the same place as the judge that's on the line so um they're either you know they could be below it or above it or to the side of it so um you don't always get the same perspective on a video um, um and in all honesty in some cases the quality of the video so whether it's you know standard definition footage and things like that sometimes dogs running at speed it can be hard to pick up something if you're looking at it in slow motion or whatever you know so um so allowing that time for a trainer then to reflect on that and have a look at it and sometimes for the for the trainer's benefit actually hearing a hearing another trainer or somebody that they respect comment on it yeah, gives gives them some perspective on, you know, they don't maybe they might not be so strong in their opinion with if, if somebody somebody they respect as a, as a fellow trainer thinks well actually yeah that that you know that might be a bit. Uh,
0: and a chance might be of to put to... forward any mitigating factors or well done to to everyone involved yeah. in that. I think that's absolutely fantastic. um I was fortunate enough, Paul, to be <laughs> at Toaster on Tuesday uh, for the Racing Post Grand TV Juvenile. And there were owners back, which is absolutely fantastic. I know Toaster, Sheffield and Central Park have already welcomed back their owners. Of course, you need to, to book with the track, um, speak to your trainer, how you go about doing that, speak to the track, um, etc. But the, the magical day, of course, Paul, is Monday, the 17th of May. Obviously, local council permitting for, for every track. Um, but we're nearly there, aren't we, of, of seeing owners and the public back at our race courses.
1: Yeah, very much so. I mean, we, you know, even now, you know, we are with the 17th of May is that is the next date in the diary, but it is only, you know, it is still penciled in, you know, the government will have to announce on the, probably the Friday before a confirmation that we're going to go ahead on that Monday, the 17th, but, you know, we're going to take it as we are because we, we, we met the last one fine. So, um, yeah, you know, this is a, for, for me and no doubt yourself, Dave, with, with, with the backgrounds of, you know. People are in the sport because they they get hooked on it. And part of that hook is the atmosphere, the, the thrill of the racing, you know, people's passion within the sport. And without spectators, it's it, it can feel very um, soulless. And that's not what we want. You know, it's not for the future of the sport. We need people in because their potential new owners new trainers new kennel hands or whatever that that get the bug you know you can't get the bug if you're not there it's, i've i've experienced myself in you know I've, i find viewing football on the telly very different now without 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 state without crowds in the stadium and it's no different with the racing um yeah. uh, it would be great to have crowds back in and it, and it couldn't happen soon enough for me
0: yeah absolutely do please um speak to your local track look out their social media accounts, get onto the website. Uh, remember you will have to book um, and, and do, of course, get in touch with us as well. You know, there will be next episodes, which tracks you looking forward to, to getting back to, I'll be looking forward to, to getting back to Romford. I of course grew up there. Um, so I can't wait to get back through the door at, at London road. And what races are you looking to, forward to seeing? We've got the Maiden Derby coming up at Toaster. That's on the 18th of May, uh, the Northern flat flat at Newcastle on the 19th, the TV trophy. Um, what a great race that is, full of prestige and history, on the twenty seventh of May as well. Um, hopefully, Paul, good times ahead.
1: Yeah, I think um, if the last years taught us anything is you've got to try and look ahead with a with a positive outlook, and um, you know the sport has gone through a very uh, tough period uh, financially for a lot of people, um, but I think. Um, we've been very fortunate in that as a sport we've been able to continue there's a lot of other industries that have come to a grinding halt and um, we've been able to to keep things going which has been fantastic for the benefit of the dogs and for 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 participants as well so um, you know more of the same pick up where we left off pre pre-covid hopefully and get get uh, get the spectators back in and get people enjoying the racing
0: yeah absolutely Uh, have you got anything to add paul it's been our first episode we've only feel like i've only really scratched the surface of your expertise um but have you you got anything else to add
1: uh well people that know me would say they've always got plenty to say but um yeah look i any of these any one of these topics that we talk about can you can go on drone on for an hour about but you know i really want to focus this on what rather than me telling people what i want them to know i'd really like to tell people what they want to know so it's really important that people engage and and ask us questions or or ask for clarity on certain points or you know um anything like that so i'm very much open to um explaining or talking about anything that people want to discuss but now i've for, for a starter i think we've done okay we've um we've we've opened the floodgates i look forward to um Wading through the inbox, hopefully, for ready for the next
0: episode. Yeah, I think we've just dipped inside qualifying time um, in our first trial. Um, of course, if you do want to get in touch with us and ask us questions, whether that be Paul, um, our next episode, we're going to be fortunate enough to be joined by commercial director Mark Moisley, the GBGB as well. If you've got a question for Mark, um, at Graham Bald is the Twitter handle, at GBGB staff will also be picked up. There's a Facebook page, and to um, remind you of the email address, pod at gbgb.org.uk thank you for your time and expertise as ever paul um thank you to everyone out there for listening do please like subscribe share this um thank you all for listening and do look out for episode two where i mentioned i will be joined by the commercial director of the gbgb mark Moisley. so until then thanks for listening and look out for episode two out of the traps brought to you by the greyhound board of great britain